Good afternoon. Today I'm talking to Darren Walker. I hear Darren, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello there everybody. I'm Darren Walker, an author. I've been writing for six or seven years now. I've had two books published so far and I've got ten more waiting to be published and I'm also in the process of writing four more, two thrillers uh, and two comedies and I'm also about to start writing some lyrics for a prog rock band because uh, they're going to do a concept al album so I, I write quite a lot. And did you always want to be a writer? It, not really. Um, as a kid, I always wanted to be a policeman, but that didn't work out. Even when I got in, I didn't work out and I soon left. And, but I, I had been trying to write ever since I was a teenager. I would start writing a thriller about assassinations and uh, things like that. And it was just every, I'd get to the two or three chapters in and self-doubt would get there and I'd just sort of put it to one side, come back to it six months later, try again, self-doubt again. I'd delete it, start again, and this went on for ages, and then I just sort of shelved it for a couple of years, came back to it, it didn't work out, uh, so I just shelved it again, but it was always in the back of my mind thinking, I wish I could write, but when you're young and you sort of, you've never had any pub anything read of yours or published, you have self-doubt and you think, oh, everything I do is crap, and I, I bet if you spoke to any author that, that's worth the salt and being honest, they'd all say that they'll start, start off with self-doubt. And uh, then I sort of started doing proper work and uh, I was sort of working for a company that bought, imported a lot of tools from America and their sales rep care used to keep coming over and insisting, dragging me out uh, for nights out on his company credit card. And it's rude not to, isn't it? Uh, so we, uh, one time he told me that he was going to be coming to Britain and he'd be going up to Newcastle. So I sent him this joke letter or guide letter to, of what things he should and shouldn't do in Newcastle. And obviously it was just a joke. So he, he took it as a joke. He recognised the joke because he recognised English humour. And he, he managed to avoid getting beaten up in Newcastle despite my guidance. And uh, so he was sort of, sort of shouting out the, word, the, the words Hawaiian shirt in Newcastle pubs might get him beat up, but it only works if you're a Geordie. And uh, so he thought this letter was really hilarious and he loved it and but I thought, fine. And I just kept hold of it. And then I get, I got a friend in Mississippi and I sent her this joke letter and she said, oh, hilarious. Why do you, I've got a friend who runs an arts website in Alabama. And it's sort of, you're thinking American Midwest, Sort of red redneck Bible belt, and you're thinking my sense of humor will probably go down like a blooming lead balloon. Uh, but I sent it to him, he sort of fobbed me off, and so I thought, right, okay, fine. And then she found out that he was fobbing me off, and so I think he fancied her, so she persuaded him to actually read my article, which he did, and he, he loved it. And he's, he's very anglophile, so he loved anything to do with the Sex Pistols, Monty Python. Uh, Douglas Adams, anything like that, and he loved it. So I wrote half the time, I'd give him an article every week. Sometimes it'd be very, very serious. So I'd be writing about Rosa Parks or the Finding Mike uh, campaign, if you, if you remember Finding Mike, where this guy 
on the bridge in one of the London bridges was going to jump off and someone talked him talked him off and then took him into a cafe got him a coffee and then buggered off and then it sort of he spent years trying to find the right person and there were lots of people coming forward saying no it was me and they weren't publicity seeking they were just genuinely people who had talked other people off that same bridge so it's sort of you, you think there were people queuing to jump off it so it's sort of and he so I was sort of explaining that and things about dementia and self-harm and my I suffer from bipolar so I did an article about that uh, but I'd also do articles about songs that were banned by the BBC um, and it's not just but not just the Sex Pistols but Bing Crosby was banned twice in the Second World War one for being too cheerful and one for being too depressing that was the BBC for you and and I'd sort of write about Monty Python and how, how you could go into any pub and sort of play and People will spontaneously go into the uh, parrot sketch or the four young and sketch. Uh, and so it was, I loved it. And then eventually I wrote poetry and he started publishing two or three poems of mine a week on his website. And then eventually sort of the website closed down because he wasn't making any money out of it. And so it wasn't my fault, honest. And so I was left with this sort of muse chattering on my shoulder, going, right, right, you bugger. And uh, I don't want to become one of these bloggers who just rap, puts random articles on their website and things like that. And I want to, I thought, why don't I write a novel? And I sort of picked up my old thriller again and I still got nowhere with it. I got to the, to the third chat and I sort of froze again. And a friend of mine who loved my comedy articles, she's an Italian living in Germany. And so, so a lot of people read my, my work and she said, well, your articles were uh, funny. The f comedy articles were really good. Why don't you write a comedy? And it was like a light bulb, light bulb moment. I think, oh, she's right. And uh, so I thought, right, I'll write a comedy. And I thought, like, because I'm a massive Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams fan. So I thought, I want to write something that I can write a series of novels. And they're on, they're, they're very vogue at the moment. So you've got the Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and all that kind of thing. So I thought, well, if I can write series of books, then maybe authors, uh, publishers would be more interested because they've got a ready, once they get the market going, they've got ready audience. Uh, so I started writing my first novel. It took me 18 months and it was, it was called Closing Shop. Quick plug time, available from all good Amazons. And it took me about 18 months. I sort of got writer's block self-doubt again in the middle of it, managed to finish it, uh, sending it out to all the agents and uh, publishers uh, a lot of them coming back saying thanks but no thanks some of them just didn't even come back at all the usual thing and this was going on for a long time so I was writing the sequel which took me about months and then I wrote three more while I was still looking for a publisher and I kept going back to the first book and putting little easter eggs in the first book that referred to the second third and fourth book so when you're reading it you're going and then you read the subsequent ones and it'll start making sense and uh, eventually i so i was going to give up and i i had a friend on facebook who owns a publishing company and she said to me send send me your manuscript and i thought well she's a friend first and a publisher second and i thought i don't want to lose a friend if she comes back and says Oh, it's a pile of dog poo. And so, I thought, and eventually I sent it to her and she genuinely loved it. And she loved the idea that it's in a series of books. Uh, so she published that. And 
it got it got shortlisted for the People's Book Prize, and it even got through to the finals. And I went down to London for the the awards ceremony in the in the Stationers Guild Hall, just around from St Paul's Cathedral. I didn't win it, damn it, but uh, it was a fix. I'm sure it was. It's like uh, every year I get ignored by the Man Booker Prize as well, and they just it's just because I write comedy, I think. Um, then, then I had my second book published again. It got shortlisted. It got through to the finals yet again. Um, again, I didn't win, but it's keep trying. And my third book, um, my first book was called Closing Shop. Let's let's go back a step rather than sort of prattling on about all all the stuff I've written and not published. Book one called Closing Shop. It's about Satan and how he got, gets tired of running hell and he wants to get allowed back into heaven. And of course, he gets in touch with God and God is suspicious. In fact, he thinks it's a crap call for one of the uh, um, one of the demons that's got hold of the private hotline and is trying to order a pizza. Uh, so eventually he gets convinced it is Satan and they organise a peace conference on a posh hotel in, in Hawaii. And it's actually based on a real hotel that exists there, but I've just changed the name so they don't sue me. And uh, so it's we go there, despite saying, no, we're not going to do it. Both sides have their own angel and demon army and they end up in camp next door, next door to each other. And they start fraternising and getting drunk and stoned with each other, as, as angels and demons do. And, and it just, and Satan brings on Sneaks in the most insane demon in hell in a in a in a uh, in a big case. The, the case gets stolen by a journalist. It gets opened, and this demon gets loose in the hotel. And eventually, they manage to avert the next Armageddon. But uh, I, won't, I won't spoil what happens after that. <laughs> but uh, but let's just say that it doesn't get back into heaven because it's a sequel. <laughs> And that's called the sword of uncreation and basically uh, it flashes back to centuries ago millennia ago when the war between the good and the bad angels and demons has been fought and if a demon or angel dies they just go back to heaven and hell for a few years and then they're allowed to go back to earth and they carry on fighting each other so basically it was a stalemate so god has this sword created that one simple cut and that particular angel or demon's soul just ceases to exist and disappears. So he uses that to win the war. But after the war's over, he finds it's a bit too much of a dangerous weapon to leave lying around. So he hides it on Earth and he makes it so that not even he knows where it is. And then, then eventually Satan finds out where it is and there's a massive race to get to it. And there's a big battle that ensues on Ulkley Moor. And it also features the angel souls of Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix fighting some demons there. So it, it's all, it's all, it all makes sense if you read the book, trust me. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> if I may, I shall give you a little reading from my first book, Closing Shop. I'll just get to the relevant pages. This is chapter one. Satan wasn't on his best form today. He was fed up. He'd been pensive for the past couple of decades and he knew he was completely depressed. Being evil just wasn't fun anymore. And he got bored with the whole thing. 
Yes, he truly believed in his heart that hate was what should, he should thrive on. It would fill his very soul like a forest fire. After all, that was what made people do evil things. And those evil things brought their souls to him instead of going to the other far duller place. But what was the point? Hate was a blanket that could be spread over everything. He could hate a fluffy golden retriever puppy, but big deal besides. He secretly found them cute, but he would never tell his loyal demons that. They would make his existence hell instead of the other way around. In the big scheme of things, he should hate everything. But how could you loathe a house brick or a glass of lemonade? Sure, he could easily make the brick crumble to dust or make the drink go off, but so what? It was a complete waste of his evil talents. Maintaining his enthusiasm for hatred was draining him and he couldn't be bothered with any of it anymore. So that is the start of the book. He gets bored and he tries to get back into heaven. Right, have you got any questions? Or shall I just carry on prattling on? Back on <laughs> um, did you eventually manage to finish any of your thrillers? Uh, no, no, it's 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 in my to-do list. The problem is though, I love I enjoy I love writing comedy. I've written comedy sketches for an American comedy uh, audio comedy site, and and I, I write comedies. I love Terry Pratchett, Douglas Adams, Tom Sharp. Uh, so it's one of those things where I do need to finish it, but I've got so many comedies on the back boiler, and I keep coming up with comedy comedy ideas and saying, "What if?" and that gets that always takes the next next slot for my writing talents but I do actually I have started writing a, a different thriller about a sort of like a, a, an Abergavenny type disaster where a, a housing estate slips into a, a sort of um, head injuries hospital and it's basically the, the local councils have taken a fat envelope full of cash to uh, allow the planning permission to go ahead despite the surveyors saying don't do it and then it's all the story of how they get caught and it's basically uh, the, the premise of the story is actually based on truth because there are some houses in the village where I live which were built on the side of a hill and the surveyors did say don't build them there and there was a big wedge, wedge of cash given to them so everything will be true about the story apart from the, the landslide of the houses which god forbid will never happen yeah. i mean it sounds like you don't need to um write the thriller anyway it sounds like you've got it nailed with the comedies especially if they're getting uh nominated for awards yes i mean i did plan to have book three which is called dead gods published last year with COVID, I'm one of these people who likes to get out in front of people talking about my books, doing book launches, doing literary festivals and all that kind of thing. And I, did, I didn't want to launch a book and not be able to sell it properly and promote it properly. So fingers crossed sometime later this year, touch wood, then it'll, uh, I'll get it out. My publisher's patient with me. <laughs> And uh, what's your goal? Is your goal to finally win that prize? At the end, beginning or well, the end of last year, but it was more of a joke award as a thank you for doing uh, an author event for a, a charity. So I've got, so I have added the word award-winning to my uh, description. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not for a specific book. It's just sort of for, for being a, being a, an ass on online as an author. Uh, but yeah, uh, to be honest, I write because I enjoy writing. The, the minute I stop liking what I'm doing, I will stop doing it. So first and foremost, I write because I enjoy doing it. And the fact that a publisher likes it and I've been able to sell okay, I'm not J.K. Rowling, but I've been able to sell a fair few books and the other people like it as well, so that keeps me going. And that that is my own reward. I mean, the, the royalties are not massive, and but it, it's it's fun, and I hope some every author hopes someday to be the next Dan Brown or J.K. Rowling and get the, the, the zeitgeist, capture the zeitgeist, and bec become the next big thing. But if not, I'll just keep plugging away and writing for, because I enjoy it and selling it to those that enjoy reading it. And do you get much feedback from your readers? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's sort of, the hardest part for a lot of authors is getting them to actually do reviews on Amazon. I mean, that is our lifeblood. If you can get lots of reviews on Amazon, it sort of has a snowball effect. But people come back to me and say, oh, I really loved you, but when's the next one coming out? And I said, well, have you reviewed it on Amazon? Uh, well, I'm, I will do, and they never do. But it's the comeback. And I mean, one of the first people to actually review it was a guy in Hawaii, because he gave me some of the guidance on the location in the hotel. And he read it, and he came back and he said, oh, it's a bit like Terry Pratchett meets Douglas Adams on the way to see Monty Python. I think he and I hadn't prompted him, and I went, yes, because <laughs> that's, that's my kind of humour. Um, and do you have lots of author friends? I have lots of them on Facebook, and I, I'm in different author groups, and I'm in uh, a group called Promoting Yorkshire Authors, who we do meet, we did used to meet up when we go to Harrogate Library to do book events and we got, I was planning to make it was expand, expanding so it's mainly North Yorkshire and it's trying to get to West Yorkshire and I was organising events for in Leeds and it just uh, thanks to Covid everything just ground to a halt so I do have quite a few authors that I know in person and a hell of a lot of authors on Facebook you just sort of you all seem to come we all seem to congregate together and become friends and we sort of give mutual support to each other there's always authors out there saying, oh, can you just read this chapter? What do you think? Or, and that will reciprocate and uh, keep going. So it's, uh, all, it's all, well, authors tend to be a really friendly lot of people. I mean, I've met quite a few musicians, music, music. It's strong, this, uh, this brown coloured water, isn't it? And uh, musicians can be right up their own asses, uh, but authors tend to be really good the down to earth they recognize that the fans are the bread and butter and it's easy to lose them so you be friendly with them sign the book sign whatever they want signing uh, give them bookmarks and they're happy and uh, so they're all friendly i mean okay sometimes they can be a bit snobbish if a, if an author becomes really successful so they'll always criticize dan brown or the woman who, who wrote 50 shades of gray and i'm thinking okay there may be plot holes and it may not be the perfect writing because the woman who wrote Fifty Shades wasn't a writer. She was in marketing and that's why she did so well. But I'm thinking more power to their elbows. Well done to them. I wish I could I could sell as many as them. <laughs> I'm not jealous at all, but I'm just thinking, good on them. <laughs> yeah. 
I always it makes me laugh when people moan about Fifty Shades. I mean, I'm pretty sure that not one person has picked up that book for the quality of writing. That's not why they're reading it. So I'm, why criticize? What's the well, point? I must admit, I've I've never read it all, but I've sort of read sort of snippets of it, and it, it is terrible. Soft, it's soft porn for frustrated housewives. I mean, there's there is better erotica out there. Uh, better written, better story plot, but she she captured the audience's imagination and they loved it. And uh, good luck to her. Yeah, yeah. Well, she don't need to do anything else now, does she? She's sorted for life, I would guess. But at the end of the day, if you write and people enjoy it, why become a highbrow author that writes atonement or some pretentious book that's going to sell sell well? and win the Booker Prize, but I'd rather write to people who actually enjoy a good laugh and a, enjoy a book and that isn't too arty and too pretentious. Just give me a good book that I enjoy reading and not, not something about airy-fairy thing written by some Japanese guy that is translated into English and you, then it has to be translated into making sense. Um, do you get much chance to read? Not as much as I'd like to, to be honest. It's because, to be honest, any spare time I'm doing writing rather than reading. And also, I'm very conscious that I don't want to accidentally plagiarise someone else's book by accidentally creating a character that's a mirror image of another person. Because I mean, because I'm such a big Terry Pratchett fan. I'm always wary that I don't emulate any of his characters or copy any of his places or anything like that in my books. And I, I mean, I have just written, finished writing a second young adult novel set in medieval um, medieval Britain, but it's sort of, the names are being changed to protect the innocents, but it's got dragons in there, it's got ogres, it's got giants, it's got dwarves, it's got unicorns, it's got all, all these other things, but I'm trying to avoid it any comparison to Terry Pratchett's Discworld and things like that. But, uh, but then again, in, in fiction, nothing's original anymore. It's, uh, they can always find, oh, well, that was done somewhere else and that's somewhere else. It's the idea of taking the right, the right words and putting them in the right order so it, comes, it, it creates something different. And what's the most interesting thing you found out uh, when doing research for your books? Uh, well, to be honest, I try and use a lot of characters that are actually based on real people that I know. So the friends will become angels and a lot of them you, uh, will recognise themselves in it if, if they don't know they're already in it. And But sometimes you'll go say, oh, can I use your use your name and type of personality. Oh yeah, but can I be a demon? <laughs> it's a th you think, okay, fine. It's the number of people would actually rather be a demon because they tend to be evil and more interesting characters than using a saint. One time for the one of the books that are yet to be published called um, Hell's Bells. It's about Satan's daughters, so it's bells as in the female. And it's, I used to work for a bank and they had one of these sort of charity options and basically people would donate things and other people would bid for it so there'd be 
the big director and sort of spend the day with that the big director so all these sort of people going oh brown nose and yes yeah, so i'll i'll spend 200 quid so i can spend the day with the the md of the bank and things like that or there'd be other people who saying right i'll bake you a cake and i thought right i'll put it put it in there you can be a character in one of my novels and there was a bit of a bidding war and the woman who won was someone i knew and she was based in london right she was a right cockney and so I was talking to him, right, what do you want to be? I want to be a demon. Right, okay, fine. And she says, right, uh, can it? Can the, this demon woman uh, have hair that turns into eels? And I thought, how bloody cockney can you be? <laughs> I don't know which was more worrying, the fact that she wanted her demon, demoness character to have eel-type Medusa hair, or the fact that I managed to fit it into my book and it works. <laughs> so so I, found, I found that people tend to be veer towards demons and also I just I mean I do a lot of research so I think if if people were to look at my research history on online they'd be uh, thinking I was very dodgy because I, I look up a lot of explosives a lot of weaponry and um, I look I look up a lot of demons so I can sort of feature them in the books uh, but I also try and feature real places in the book so even if I haven't visited them I do a lot of research like in in the next book, Dead Gods, part of it features a restaurant in it in uh, Cairo, and I sort of got in touch with them, asked them a lot of questions, asked their permission to use it in the book, and they said yes. And if you ever go there, you get a free meal. So I'm not I'm not going to go there just just for the free food, but you never know; it's always handy. And <laughs> and obviously the battle on Ilfimore with me living in Yorkshire, it's only a few miles away from where I live anyway. So I sort of went up there, did a lot of research, because up there there's an, an ancient, they call it the swastika stone, and it goes back to Bronze Age time. We've got this sort of circular swastika on it. It's not the sort of like the Nazi thing. And so I sort of featured that in the novel, and also the portal to go into purgatory is in, is in Florence. And I, I discovered a square there, a sort of piazza called Piazza del Limbo, and it's 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 well out of the tourist trap. Nobody will go there. There's no statues, and it's just like a back alleyway. But and I, I did some research on it, and I found that in ancient times, if a if a baby was born, stillborn, and it hadn't been christened, that they believed it wouldn't go to heaven. So they, they would bury all these unchristened dead babies in that piazza which is a bit morbid, but I just, the name stuck and I sort of created that as a portal entrance into the, uh, into the other regions. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, which of your own books would you like to be a character in? Uh, well, actually I'm a character in all eight of the, oh, sorry, all nine, all nine of the uh, Hell and Heaven series books. So the central character is called Deedon which is actually the, a character from the Bible. I think he appears in about two verses of the Bible and then disappears again. And he he set up a, a kingdom in Arabia called Dedan. And so people from there were called Dedanites, but he was the king and the creator of this kingdom. And he looks a lot like me. He's about my height, he's balding, a bit podgy. And, uh, but he's, he's a bit more active than me. So if you think of me being Bain, James Bond type character. Uh, so he's a sort of central character. 
and I do eventually sort of retiring at the end of the, <laughs> the last book I've written in the series. But I've I do have lots of other friends that do carry on the series and things like that. So <laughs> me disappearing from the story doesn't stop. And I've written a fictional uh, story set in a made-up uh, country in South America, and it's a bit like an healing comedy. And I usually try and feature myself in there, but I'm more of a, of a sort of uh, civil servant in in that book. And in the and I've also written a couple of the young adult ones, the medieval ones, and I'm I'm a librarian. But I'm instead of uh, call, being called a venerable bead, I'm called a venerable sequin. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, what do you do to celebrate when you finish writing a book? I traditionally I say right, I'm going to give up. I'm going to stop writing for a couple of months and rest, and then within two days I start writing the next book again. So, uh, to me, it's it's become part of my life and part of my routine, and I enjoy it so much that my my way of celebrating is right. Put it to one side. I'll get it edited and proofread later. But I'll start writing the next one. <laughs> you and every other author I speak to, <laughs> <laughs> literally say, I mean, every single one. <laughs> I mean, I don't need an excuse to drink a beer. Well, obviously, you've given me the excuse tonight, but uh, I don't I don't crack open the champagne or anything like that. It's just to me, it's something that it's like. Play another round of golf tomorrow. And so what do you enjoy doing when you're not writing? <laughs> there isn't much time that I don't have writing. Stop going to the gym and I stop to I'll be I'll be going to the gym again. So just basically trying to keep fit because obviously when you're an author you just sit there in front of your screen eating and drinking and getting not not a lot of exercise so I sort of try and try and keep fit. Um, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Oh god um, you want to be here all night? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to listen if you're happy to share. <laughs> I think there's to be honest it's, I can't think of embarrassing ones but I, I think the most dangerous sort of strange thing that ever happened to me was in 1986 I think it was I went to see Queen at, at Wembley and Prince Charles and Diane, Diana were sort of about four or five rows behind me so it was a really good seat and basically all the crowd were drunk and someone threw a tomato sandwich at me Oh, well, they didn't throw it directly at me, but they threw it and it sort of hit me. And so I basically picked up this sandwich and lobbed it behind me. And then it suddenly realised who was sat a few rows away from me. And I had visions of turning around and all these armed uh, security guards and bodyguards clambering over to come and beat seven uh, shades of the proverbial out of me. And I, I turned around and fortunately for me, the sandwich had hit Anita Dobson instead. So, <laughs> lucky escape. I think I think I owe Anita Dobson an apology if I ever meet her. But uh... <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I'm so jealous. That's so cool. <laughs> I'd love to see Queen there, yeah. definitely on my <laughs> And another one is another anecdote is um, uh, I, I, there used to be, well, there still is a, night, a club in Leeds called the Warehouse, and it's it was a indie type place that in in its day in the 80s when I used to go and Mark Armand used to be the barman there and then he got famous and um, but one time I happened to be drinking and he'd, he'd sort of come back and he'd surrounded by all his hangers-on and sycophants and all these other people and uh, he had a reputation for uh, uh, taking certain substances in those days and he seemed to be as high as a kite and basically I was just basically googling on down in the dance floor like the uh, dancing John Travolta that I am and basically he sort of stumbled over me knocked over all our drinks and so when I sort of approached him I tried to uh, tried to sort of I was a bit drunk myself and I was trying to get him to buy a round of drinks because he just knocked them all over and then all of a sudden his bouncers came and they were sort of tight t-shirts a bit like a blooming uh, right said fred video right, massive tight t-shirts and they pounced on me and i was sort of flat on the floor with these big burly men on <laughs> on top of me and, and i think it was it was well before video cameras so thankfully there's no photographic evidence to haunt me but it's, if i ever meet mark Hammond, he owes me a round of drinks I have a feeling that you could provide these all night. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done a lot of stupid things in the youth. That's for sure. <laughs> and would you ever consider writing them and putting them in a book? Because I would read it. Well, I've actually, I did write articles about them for the American Arts website. So they are, I, I've actually recorded them on paper and written about them. But it's certainly the opportunity to, if I ever write my autobiography, they're going in there. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were to invite four famous people to a dinner party, who would you invite? Uh, well, I think the first one would have to be definitely Terry Pratchett. Um, probably after that, maybe Douglas Adams. I don't, I don't want to just go for all authors like that. In the 70s, there used to be a very famous scientist stroke uh, historian called Jacob Bronowski and I'd, I'd probably want him there uh, probably Cary Grant I think he's he's so cool I just love his films and he's just such a cool dude and um, I think it'd be interesting to either have Winston Churchill and which I do have a, fam a family a distant sort of slight family connection with him or uh, Elizabeth I Awesome. That sounds really interesting, actually. I think Elizabeth I, because she's so. Sort of, I'm not quite sure if it'd be a good party or whether she'd be sort of so snobbish and uh, arrogant. <laughs> I regret this choice, but it'd be an interesting one to have her there just to see what she did. Yeah, drunk, and I imagine that I'd break all that down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a story about her which, which makes me like her was that once in her car, there was someone who actually broke wind really loudly. And he was so embarrassed that he went off to the Americas for seven years. And then he came back. And as soon as he walked into court, she said, oh, you're the one who farted. And he just... 
<laughs> so that makes me think that she might actually make a good party guest. <laughs> yeah. It's the same as I imagine our Queen now would. I think she's got quite a good sense of humour, hasn't she? So I think she would be quite fun. Not yeah, at the moment, obviously. Got, I, think but... she, I think she'd try and put on a straight face act until she really got to know you. That's the problem. So one, one dinner party wouldn't be enough for her to break down the walls. No. Yeah, I'm not sure how you'd really get that <laughs> into that sort of close circle. <laughs> Give her a pint of gin, she'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, um, or two. <laughs> yeah, a couple of pints of gin, she'd be, you're my best bit, you are. <laughs> um, so what are you working on in a minute and what's coming next for you? Uh, well, I'm just... I'm, I just need to do one last final proofread of the next book in the Hell and Heaven series of the Gods and Demons uh, saga. And then hopefully get that out later this year. And i to write the third book in the Young Adults um, Medieval series. And the first book was called The Wrong Giant. The second book was called The Wrong Dragon. And the third book is called The Wrong Prisoners. And basically it features a, a young squire called Dan. And he's a central character, but it's got princesses and the librarian, of course, and other knights in there. And basically the, the squire and the princess get kidnapped and taken to some Arabian country. And all the other characters start going after them, chasing after them. And so they move from this capital city that looks a lot like London and they go abroad and have lots of mishaps with foreigners. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us about. Oh, I can't really think of anything. I mean, it's, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you and uh, hopefully you've got enough material to uh, Put, put out there and people enjoy listening to it oh yes i have no doubt um so before we go do you want to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books i have uh, which is darren walker author i face another facebook group called buzzing shop which is the title of the first book and i post post jokes and lots of rude memes on my Facebook page and on my author page I post things about my writing career. I also have a, a website Darren Walker Author so please feel free to pop in there and say hello and have a look at some more pictures of me and my books. You can buy the books from Amazon, uh, Water, order them from Waterstones. Uh, there's, unfortunately there's not many independent bookshops I'm sure if you ordered it from them you could get them as well or you could contact me directly and I'll happily send you a signed copy awesome well thank you very much oh, thank you <laughs>